Today, we get back into God's Word to learn how to be a loving Christian in this world. But we also learn that faith alone does not save the Christian from death. So we ask our Father to open eyes and open ears as we go into His Word and learn chapter 2 of the book of James. Amen. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Disciples' Haven. I'm your host, Jose Garcia, in chapter two of the book of James. But before we get into that, I want to ask if you can say a prayer for my family. God knows the want and need, but we've been going through some family medical problems and uh, we're trusting in God. He's going to see us through. I was actually wanting this episode to air last week, but things kind of took a whole 180. So if you can say a prayer, I'd appreciate it. Now, I want to recap real quick chapter one. Chapter one taught us that we ask God for wisdom for anything, whether that would be to understand God's word or just trying to figure something out in your life. If you ask God for the wisdom to help understand, he's going to give it to you in his time. We also learn to not be double-minded. Don't waver in your faith. And lastly, we learn to set our minds on things that are heavenly, not on things that are earthly. Don't let this world distract you from what really is important. Don't build your riches here, but also build them up in heaven. And you do that by being a doer and not just a hearer of God's word. So James chapter 2 verse 1 and it reads, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. What it's saying here is that you can't be a faithful servant of God and play favoritism with people. You are not to favor one person over another. If God isn't a respecter of persons, neither should you be. That means favoring people based off of social status, race, creed, nationality. It's not something God tolerates. God doesn't have favorites, so neither should we. Verse 2. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, in other words, rich clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partialing yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? These verses is basically saying, You get this nice, rich, fancy person come into your place of business or your place of worship, and man, you tend to their very needs, provide tip-top customer service, and then you get this one guy or gal who walks in looking like filth or looking like he just doesn't belong, and you tell them, hey, sit right over here in the very back, away from everyone. You're basically judging evil thoughts. Don't judge a book by its cover. You know, some of the richest people on this earth have some of the smallest bank accounts. Why? Because their riches aren't here. They're up in heaven. They bring joy and peace when they come across other people here on earth. They bless those around them through their works, their counsel, their willingness to listen to people. 
so be like that. Verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? The poor of this world, that means you. You may not be filthy rich, but you are an heir to the kingdom of God. That means whatever is his, is yours too. Think about that. If you're rich in this world, lies, greed, lustfulness, it's only a temporary satisfaction. You're going to enjoy that for what? 30, 40, 50 years? Then what? You die and all you have is nothing. While the person who you may have put down or shunned on because of how they looked, that person may have been busy building his riches in heaven for having faith in the one true God and loving him fully. How is that going to make you look? Verse 6. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? These are people who constantly rip people off, who are so hungry for almost everything. They love getting ahead by trampling on whomever it is in their way. Now, as I said in the last episode, don't let this discourage you from being rich either. If you are rich and you worked hard to where you got and you thank God for getting you to where you are, this isn't about you. This is about those eager to get another dollar no matter what the cost or who it hurts or who it oppresses. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? Unfortunately, they will mock Christianity. These are your politicians who push God out of everything, the ones who pass laws that are against God's word and say that it's for equality and inclusiveness, that it's fair. These are people who poke fun at us Christians and call us radical for not wanting kids exposed to drag shows or lustful behavior. Verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Which royal law? Well, there's only one king of kings and that's God himself. If we fulfill his law and apply that old commandment, do unto others as ye would do unto yourselves, you're doing pretty good for yourself. I get there are some neighbors that you just can't get along with, but you know, you can try. Just remember, keep being that same person that you saw in the mirror and don't forget, you are a light in this dark, dark world. You are a reflection of what God is. Verse 9. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law of transgressors. Treat everyone the same. Never be a respecter of persons. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. The word kill here is a mistranslation. The word here in the Greek is G5407 in the Strong's Concordance, and it's pronounced phonyo, and it means murder. There's a big difference between killing and murder. You see, killing in war or in self-defense is not the same as criminal homicide. Murder requires intent. Murder requires a forethought. That is what it should say in the commandment. Thou shalt not murder. So basically what it's saying here, if you're going to follow God's law and you break one of his commandments, you basically broke them all. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. But if you break one of his commandments and ask for forgiveness, repentance is there for anyone who ever asks of it. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. 
For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Mercy triumphs above all. We are to show mercy to people. If you can't show mercy to people, how do you expect God to show you mercy? Verse 14. What doth the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Oh, James is getting deep now. He's bringing us home with some truth and knowledge. He's bringing it all together. In this one verse, he's tied in how we shouldn't be double-minded, how we should be doers and not just hearers of God's word, and how we should treat our neighbors as we treat ourselves. See, a problem with Christianity today is that it harps on, are you saved, brother? Are you saved, sister? All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ being the Lord. Yeah, faith is one thing, but where's the works? You think believing is all you need to get into heaven? God's word here says that that won't get you anywhere. Faith without works is like trying to catch your next flight. You believe the flight is going to be on time, but you didn't take the time to prepare. You didn't show up early to go through security, but you believe that the plane is going to wait for you. And next thing you know, you get to your gate and it's been gone and now you're stuck. You can't just be a hearer and not be a doer of God's word. You have to commit yourself to God. That means walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. Verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? What it's saying here is, you ever get those Christians who come by and see someone struggling or in need of helping hand, and they tell them, Come here, brother or sister, I'll pray for you. Believe in God, and He's going to help you. And then they leave. That doesn't help anybody. Who are you kidding? Sure, it's a nice gesture, but remember, who is this book written to? To the 12 tribes. What are we to do? We are to plant seeds. We are to save as many souls as possible. Pray for them, yes, but teach them God's word. Offer them some knowledge because with God's wisdom, they can be rich. If all you do is pray for people, but never offer a helping hand, all you're showing is faith, but no works. You see someone needing help, offer them a helping hand. Pray for them, but do some work to help a brother or sister out. Now, I'm also not contradicting with what it's written in the Bible, where if someone's too lazy to work for themselves, you know, don't feed them. Because it's true, God doesn't like laziness. But if you see someone struggling and you see that they're trying, help them out. Verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. What again? If you have faith and no works, faith is dead. Verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. A lot of people say they are Christians, but most of them don't even know the true meaning of being a Christian. They don't know it takes obedience. It doesn't just take faith, it takes work also. See that you know the true meaning of what it means to be a Christian. Verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Oh man, you hear what it says here? It's saying that, sure, you have faith that there is one God, 
that he's all-powerful? And what? The demons, the devils know this too. So how are you any different? Faith alone will not save you. You have to have works behind your faith. Be above those devils. Be above the ways of the world. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? It is almost as if God is trying to engrave that faith without works means nothing. It would behoove you to take note of that. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? There are many examples all over God's word that show what it means to be a true Christian, like Abraham, for example. Here it goes to telling us how not only did God command Abraham to sacrifice his only son, but Abraham had not only faith that God would provide for him, but the works behind his faith was that Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac for God, his only son. And at the very last moment, before Abraham sacrificed Isaac, God provided a ram to be sacrificed instead, symbolic of our lamb who was sacrificed for all of us in that same place on Mount Moriah. Seest thou how faith wrought his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. And with your works and your faith, you will also be justified by God. It's all in how you conduct yourself in your daily life, your daily interactions with your family, your friends, your co-workers. Be a blessing to people. Teach them. Verse 25. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? You can read this story in the second chapter of Joshua. Basically, Rahab heard how the Israelites were going to come to the land, and she knew that meant trouble for them, but she had faith in God, which is step one. Now, what were her works? She helped the Israelites by hiding them and helping them get to the land. Faith and works. Now, one note on this, God never called Rahab a harlot. Men called her a harlot. And why is that? Probably because she could outsell most of the linen makers in her time. But just make a note, God never once referred to her as a harlot. Verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Think about that. Our body without our spirit is nothing. It's just flesh and bone. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a dead body before, but you can see when you see one, how the soul is just not there. And it's, it's quite, what's the word I'm looking for? Astonishing, I think is the right word. How you can see how the body is alive when you have a soul in it. And when it departs this world, into the next dimension, you, you can see how there, there is a soul in people's bodies. So I hope this painted a detailed image in your head how faith alone is nothing. Don't get me wrong, having faith is amazing and it's the very first step into becoming a Christian, but you need to mature from that and start producing works for God. I believe this chapter to be such an important message to all of us. I hope it's made you think about how to apply these teachings to your everyday life. When you apply these guidelines, you'll see how your life will start improving. Your relationships, 
your marriage, your mental health will just improve overall. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please share it with your friends and family. Remind them to follow me on Instagram if they have an Instagram account. Let's get the word out there to as many people as we can. We got souls to save. Until next time, disciples, go in peace.